Welcome to Room for Growth, a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Room for Growth. Thanks for listening in today. It is a special week here in Charlottesville, Virginia. I have about 60 people here from the growth team. It's a combination of people who do systems integrations. They uh, orchestrate CDPs. They help set up event taxonomies. We've got analysts here. We've got marketing experts. We've got all kinds of people. And they are here to share their cool shit stories. So they'll either be bringing stories from the field, things they've interacted with on the clients and the projects they've done, or just from the simple fact that they're UX experts, they're marketing experts. They have to live in the world just like everybody else. They have to interact with digital products, apps, websites, push notifications, etc. And some of these are just, hey, here's some things that drive me crazy. So that's going to be our cool shit stories today. Um, also today on Room for Growth, we are going to take some burning questions. So we're going to have a uh, different sets of engineers, growth experts, strategists, content folks come in, ask a burning question that they have. I'll give them my best possible answer. We're going to see how it goes. Might be kind of fluid here. Um, So to start, I have a friend of mine, colleague, Greg Mayo. He helps with systems integrations, everything from customer data platform to Braze CDP, super expert in all kinds of tools and tech and how to get uh, sources, destinations of data talking together. He is also admittedly single and has a gripe about dating apps. Absolutely. So looking for cool shit stories, I sent Billy a Slack and I said, can I just complain about something? And she said, I would love that. So here we go. My relationships, my relationship with dating apps is it's a Tuesday afternoon. I'm a little bored. Open it like a little dopamine hit, see what's going on. It's not really my thing. My gripe with Bumble is I do not like push notifications. Even for messages, I do not get alerted. It's really just not my thing. However, if I have a match or a message, I like to know that immediately. It brightens my day. So I have all push notifications coming in. Unfortunately, the good people at the Yellow Dating app do not understand frequency capping very well. Just this week, Tuesday, I got two push notifications that were meant for their entire user base within 30 minutes. It was 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. I wasn't really that excited to get on Bumble. And just to go forward about how generalized these messages were, I've had so many messages about Ted Lasso. Uh, this might offend some people. I've never seen that show. It doesn't do anything for me. I get pushed most messages about Zodiac signs. Never interacted with any of those. So it's just a little gripe for me. I'm trying to go about my day. I have a specific use case for Bumble. And that's not the dopamine hit I'm looking for is, hey, this Ted Lasso quote is going to yeah. be pretty fun. I think the important thing is like dating apps are really changing what users expect across different industries. So the influence of a dating app on how people expect to be treated in terms of how they receive messaging from all different types of like e-commerce experiences, their sports apps, their content and entertainment apps is definitely having a huge influence. But I think one of the dominant trends that still makes the dating app experience itself kind of poor is that traditional wisdom about time of day to send general push notifications. Like if you have ever worked in own channel marketing, I guarantee you have sat in a room and been like, we need to send this campaign. When should we send it? Oh, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday is like high speed time. Like, let's just send it then. Like that wisdom has to go away, especially in a world where you can really intelligently take a behavior, take an action people actually want to respond to. Like, hey, this person just messaged me. 
And you can leverage that to get people into the app. And then you can use something entirely different to get people seeing kind of your like general broad-based messaging. Yeah, I agree. Especially like frequency capping. It's such an interesting trend to be thinking, how do we make that content more personalized in and of itself? How do we get time of day to be more personalized? So those messages don't end up feeling offensive. You don't end up just like leaning away from one brand on that alone. Absolutely. I do have a curveball. I have a solution. This is a little advice to my people at Bumble. There is a dating app notification that I almost always open. So first, I want to talk about something called mimetic desire. This is something I talk to all my friends about. This is the idea that someone else wants it, so you should too. I get push notifications from Tinder about join a swipe party. Everyone's on. I have no idea what a swipe party is. Never, I don't even like Tinder. I've never t- I've even sent a message. Whenever I get one of those messages, I'm like, I should hop on, see what's going on. So tell me other people are there. Not even that someone likes me, just other people are using this app. Maybe they're looking for you. That's a great idea. Just this notion that people going live has become a pretty dominant experience, particularly in push notifications that there is some sort of reach that happens when people say, we're going to go live, everybody join. That's sort of putting this like social cohorting, this digital ecosystem back into almost a live experience that, yeah, I love that idea dating apps could be using. But I think so many people could be considering how do we create that sense of community at a time place to drive urgency, whether or not it's there. I've got Nishu Patel here now. Nishu is sort of a hybrid of a growth strategist, marketing strategist, and then technology strategist. So he tends to work on different client accounts, both for long-term, shorter-term projects, where on one hand, he might be executing campaigns across own channels, particularly out of Braze, but all platforms. But usually at the intersection of a customer data platform, usually some product analytics in the mix, and then Braze as well. So you're really cornerstone to uh, how you take multiple technologies, layer them together to leverage the best capabilities. What is your story that you want to tell today? Well, I work for Hardee's and Carl's Jr., but I wanted to talk about how you could use data to kind of achieve a marketer's dream, right? You can have, and we have, created emails that will change content, change modules, change CTAs, links, based on what we can know about the customer's data in their profile already. Someone who is already a loyalty member will get redeem your rewards, but someone who isn't a loyalty member will be sign up for rewards. And you get to tackle so many different types of users with kind of one main campaign. So really, you know, it reduces lead time on creating these emails, but also increases your ability to interact with these users. So Nishu, you just worked on a campaign where it took some technical setup. It took a little while, not too much work, but maybe give us a sense of how much where you were sending push notifications that just simply brought loyalty rewards in as part of the personalization component of the content to basically tell users like you do or don't have an actual food reward waiting for you. And by the way, the closest location is here. Talk to us a little bit about what it took to set that up and then how it performed. So the biggest thing in any of these kinds of campaigns, especially like that one, we're reaching out to loyalty members around what they have in terms of rewards and where they can use them is understanding what type of user are they. Do they have enough points to warrant a message? Are we going to inundate them with messaging that may not appeal to them right now because they may not be hitting that target? So looking at the data and being like, yes, you are in a tier that can be marketed to that hopefully will show the value prop that they were giving to them. You've been a great loyalty user. You have rewards. Here's the best place you can use them. And just kind of give them that like little push 
uh, we hope to try to give pushes based on when they're active in the apps and things like that. So as data is presented and as data is there to be used, we try to make sure we target those like little on the fence points. So hopefully the best time to convert. This use case in particular, just the idea of saying to your loyalty members, hey, you have a food item available. You have a thing you can redeem. That had a conversion rate that's more than double industry average, something in the range of 5 to 6%, depending on audience size. That's a huge conversion percentage. An obvious moment in time to say, hey, come to one of our stores, make a purchase. Almost always, it's going to be stronger than just the free item itself. Huge win, huge use case, something I think all brands, all e-commerce in particular, should be striving for. Hi, my name is Teresa Ceballos. I'm a growth content strategist. And my burning marketing question for Billy is, is content really king? Ooh, good question. Classic question. Yes, this is the truth. One of the things that we still think is a massive competitive advantage, something you can leverage in the ecosystem, is if you are truly good at content, if you are exceptional at content, written content, video content, social content, if you can stand out in those marketplaces because you hire great people who know how to feel organic, speak to the brand properly, draw in an audience of their own, that is oftentimes one of the biggest and most important things for the performance of all types of messaging campaigns, all types of channels, how you grow your audience, how you acquire new people, how you get them to convert, how you message them. Yes, content is still king. We talked to all kinds of brands who hired out their content to an agency that has all kinds of rules about how they can use that content, how they can personalize it, how they can touch it. And they find that performance drops precipitously immediately. Personalization matters. Having a tone, having a voice, having a thing to say. Super important. I talk about this a lot, like especially with the advent of influencers in social media. If you are asking to advertise through an influencer's network and then you're giving that influencer a script, just stop. You're already like losing the battle. Let the influencer decide how they're going to talk to their audience about your product and sell it. Give them some guardrails, but like let it be as organic as possible because that's truly going to be the best content. And I think one of the things that we see here at Willow Tree is we have this intersection of sort of craft at our common core of what we produce, and then a really bespoke approach to how we treat clients. That means that we are often hiring content writers and specialists who are the best at their craft and then care so much about matching that brand that we still think of content as this thing that is being undervalued, undersold. Mm -hmm. That's where we come in in a premium market space and say, we know how to do this different. We know how to produce video that's better, that speaks more candidly to your audience. It's more engaging, that's sized right, that's timed right. Still think it's huge. But Teresa, I am no longer a content specialist. I'm not writing anything these days. What do you think? I think content is queen. I'm Connor Worley. I work in email execution and strategy on White Castle. And my burning question that's keeping me up at night is when do we get to work with a pro sports league and what kind of cool stuff could we do for them? So as you know, we are already working with a number of pro sports. I'm not going to mention exactly who they are, but you can think about things like March Madness, the Super Bowl, some of these big landmark events that happen and our role in them. And I think sports marketing in particular through own channel is one area with just a ton of opportunity right now. One, how do you stay interactive during a game when you are not exactly sure what's going to happen? Where it's live, you've got to intentionally have a strategy that's live, but be super fast at how you either send out game highlights, 
You help describe what happened. You keep spoilers out of it. We know that spoilers in live sports is something that can be really obnoxious to fans who are trying to watch multiple games. But I think there's this other opportunity that I want to talk about in particular around if you are honed in on one thing, for instance, you're at a stadium, you're watching a college football game, but you care about the 10 other college football games that are happening that day. How do we feed you more intelligent news straight to your phone when things happen? Can we start to create something that feels a little bit more like a feed or a news feed rather than a constant ping of like push notifications. That's one strategy that I'd love to be working on. The second is just in the sports world, there's so much news. There's so much happening. How do you get more intelligent about letting people determine what they want to receive? So it's such a like boring concept, but I think at the cornerstone of um, live sports engagement and strategy and really standing out in the market, is around the preference center. Like I just think not enough of our clients, not enough big brands are thinking about how valuable a good preference center that's really seamless in terms of how it updates about how like a preference center that's easy to get into and out of, how that can really change the game for how you personalize messaging. You don't always have to like assume and automate and have like AI algorithms for what you send people. You can just ask them in ways that are easy and polite. So I can't tell you when we're going to get to work with the next sports (laughs) team and when that might be you, Connor. But I can say that every sports team we're working with, every sports league, super fun space, super rich for innovation. Hi, my name is Ari Kravatsky. I'm a growth manager over at the Willow Tree Growth Practice. And I spend the majority of my time bridging email strategy and campaign execution and really trying to find the the optimal cross-section between those two things for our clients. I've been trying to think, you know, we talk in other areas of the practice about what our like golden ticket client is. You know, what is, if you could walk into a room to a prospect and say, and tell them exactly what you wanted to do, what would that client, like what would that engagement look like? Well, Ari, as you already know, I'm a pretty big nerd. So the spaces and the opportunities that get me really excited are a little counterculture, but a few spaces right now. First of all, I think like energy and utilities. It annoys me so much that I never hear from my energy company. I would like to hear from them more, especially around outages. I think outages and moments where you need to communicate with a large group of people really effectively is a huge opportunity. I would love to have more of these clients like operating national power grids or local water systems, anything like that. And then thinking about how you use push notifications or SMS to get people news faster. One of the things we have done in the past is done some like load testing for brands that might need to alert people of things like a hurricane hitting their area where it has to be so accurate and so perfect every time those messages go out. That's perfect. So we know this technology exists. Add some geo-targeting to it. You can get down to like the neighborhood level where you say, hey, for this outage, we're going to come and service you at approximately this time. We're already aware that there's an outage. Like Just thinking about the possibilities to create efficiency at people's time of greatest need is something that gets me really excited. And then There's, of course, this use case where in California, they were really worried that too many people were using the power grid and it was going to like cause an outage. And they sent a notification that just asked people like, hey, turn some lights off, like use a little less power. And it worked like gangbusters. So uh, right now, I'm really curious if we could have a perfect client, such like such a non-glamorous client, but I would love to be working in energy more efficiently. I also think there's a ton of opportunities in healthcare. That's another place where it can be really obnoxious to try to even figure out like, who has my prescription order? Is it at the CVS down the street? Is it the automation service that comes from my insurance program? That's a big one. And then as you know, always like Delta, 
Hey, Delta. Delta Airlines. Hi, we love you. Come work with, you want to work with Sephora? Sephora, <laughs> love your loyalty. Hi. Talk about it every single week. Please let us work on your loyalty program. Obsessed. Um, Ari, what are some of yours? Oh, man, I would love to. I think there are so many organizations out there that are already doing such great things. I think about the insane engagement that Spotify gets out of Wrapped every year. And I actually, they just upped the game this year. They were like, let's take a look at last year's Wrapped and get you ready for this year's. What do you have to do to get ready for this year's Wrapped? And man, they've got things pretty dialed. Like I'm pretty excited about their content already, but to get to work with something like that would be really, really cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Best example of a personalization use case. That's like the new Coca-Cola polar bear in my mind. Like every year you can keep building, you can keep growing, you can change it you can keep it similar and it's going to work. Love that example. I'm Quinn Hicks. I'm a digital strategist in the growth practice at Willow Tree. And my burning question for my personal fave, Billy here is what are like, some continuing education or seminars that are just mandatory for you? Oh, mandatory education. Okay. I listen to the podcast, My First Million, fairly religiously. I think sometimes the hosts of that get like a little, a little sexist. They could bring some more like female perspective into their viewpoints. But I think they talk about the business world, what's changing in technology, how to be more entrepreneurial, how to move faster in a way that I really love. Subscribe to Harvard Business Review. I think the articles in that overlap the intersection of the workforce and what's happening with the economy, as well as just how to be a better leader, how to empower teams. So that's a big one for me. I listen to The Daily every day. I just think listening to a podcast that gives you a little bit of news, a little bit of context on what's happening in the world is really important to be a more informed citizen um, and to make sure that you are just sort of staying with common cultural trends, what's changing in terms of language. And then from a marketing perspective, if I were going to give anyone advice, it would be go take an accounting class. Go take a stats class for business. Go take a finance class. Take something that puts you so far out of your comfort zone in terms of what you think you want to understand about the business world, but just puts you at the like intersection of the language of business. I think so often marketers have a hard time connecting what they're doing in terms of driving outcomes to how a business is actually structured, how it talks about reporting language, how it talks about what um, an impact is and whether that impact is sufficient or not in terms of driving ROI. Having marketers who are more acclimated to business acumen, I think just makes them more powerful. But the best way to do that is you really have to get out of your comfort zone. If you want to be able to like look at a business and be able to break down how that business works, how it functions, how it makes money, best way to do that is something like accounting. But then on the marketer side, what I think marketers are so good at is understanding users fundamentally. Like most marketers have a bit of a gut sense for things like audience segmentation and personas and who their buyers are. But I think some marketers still don't lean on data enough. And so we bring a lot of our own biases into the system and assumptions. So anything around audience segmentation where you can start to get better at bringing audience sizes down to like a human level where you can really quantify how many people are you talking to? What do they need? What do they want? And then starting to use data to formulate opinions. So that could be anything from just getting really in the habit of reading reviews on the app store, making sure that you are spending more time getting in touch from a really like qualitative, quantitative data-driven way, who you're marketing to so that you can check some of your own biases at the door. Those are some of the things that I think about that are free for the most part, you can find them online, relatively easy. They're daily learning. They're not a huge course that you have to take. Hi, I'm Amanda Baker, and I'm a data and analytics expert, and I spend a lot of time 
with our CRM campaigns, specifically, you know, driving insights and key takeaways that are going to affect how we strategize our campaigns. So my question is, what do you think would be the most important differentiator between growth marketing and digital marketing or traditional marketing, you know, all the other disciplines that encompass the world of marketing? Yeah, I feel inherently bad for any CMO in the world right now because marketing can mean so many hard skilled disciplines that you have to really understand extremely well. But when I think about what the difference between growth marketing is versus just digital channel marketing or marketing more traditionally, it really comes down to a shift that's happening because of where people spend money. Where it used to be that marketing was just a cost center. It was expensive to run campaigns, but you sort of had to do it. You weren't really sure of what the impact of those campaigns were. But now what we understand, especially when people are purchasing through an app or a website, is that you need marketing, not as something that is costly, but something that helps you sell the products that you are selling. So I think of growth marketing as a mindset shift to say that marketing isn't a cost center. It's a revenue driver for the business, something that's really critical. And it also inherently implies that we're going to be really tied into the data of what our marketing message is that we're putting out to the world and then what it drives in terms of conversion and ROI for the business. So I think we sit a little bit more at that data intersection between business outcomes, user actions, behavior, what we want to say to them. So what's the message? What's the conversation that we want to have? What actions do we want to respond to? All in favor of really getting users into an app to take a certain action. It might just be using that app. Like if you're Spotify, it might just be getting them to build more playlists or listen more frequently. It doesn't always have to be a checkout experience necessarily. But but that's where the intersection I think that plays in. And then there's of course things where it's like, if you're a digital marketer today, what I think of when I hear that is like, you're probably doing paid advertising in a specific platform or channel. That in and of itself needs thought leadership. It needs subject matter experts that that's what they devote their life to because there's so much diversity. And I think more traditional marketing, billboards, still really important. Subway, how you put up posters in a subway system to reach specific users, still super relevant. It's not going anywhere. All of these intersections still matter. But that's what I think of when I think of the difference between like a growth marketer, traditional marketer. Amanda, what do you think of? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think that I was kind of thinking about that this morning. And I think you can imagine growth marketing as almost like marketing 3.0. You know, if traditional came first and then digital growth kind of solves the problems that both of those channels had with, you know, like you said, understanding the impact of your campaigns and how that really drives performance. And I definitely agree that it was kind of born out of the necessity of, you know, both of those channels were just inherently lacking in how you reach more customers and that kind of stuff. So, but I think sometimes it's also just like, it's almost replacing sellers Mm -hmm. as a profit center for a business and how you reach out to customers. Like you don't have that one human anymore, but sometimes when we're creating campaigns, that's what I think of. I think what would somebody who is selling this product want to say to a single user right now? And that's often a good way, I think, to think about it. Yeah, it is for sure. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a passionate life cycle marketer here at Willow Tree. I have a question for Billy, a burning question. How do you think about staffing a growth team? And how do you think about advising the company differently, depending on if it's a larger company with a more legacy marketing organization that doesn't even have the growth function, or maybe a newer organization that has some amount of growth built out, but maybe across disparate teams? 
That's a great question. So I think at a starting point for a small team, a smaller company, somebody who's just starting to get into growth is like a fundamental of what they do. I want them to hire really cross-functional experts. So generally somebody super steeped in CRM best practices, lifecycle messaging best practices, understands channel, and is also really comfortable with data because inherently growth is going to mean we're at an intersection of performance, either for audiences or for business. Almost always, I'm going to want an analyst in the mix. I find that smaller companies actually tend to have less data. They need more thoughtfulness about what kind of data they're building out, how they mature their capabilities around measurement. And then typically, it also say good content. They might be establishing their brand voice, and content can be a huge differentiator. There's going to be a lot of strategic decisions around content and voice. That might be a piece of it. Getting into like larger companies, some of the things that you start to see are a real need to update IT. So for instance, we staff things like HTML specialists. HTML seems like a pretty archaic practice. There's just not enough teams that have staffed designers who also know how to code an email for performance across different devices and mobile experiences. And there's a lot that technically goes into especially own channel or to pay digital that most traditional marketing teams just aren't thinking about. Also, there tends to be these big silos between sort of like IT and marketing and then like newfangled technology. So we often find that we are staffing specialists, whether it's customer data platform specialists, geo specialists, somebody who's a CRM specialist, just to help them with their systems management and understand how to adopt a new system and how to keep it up to date. I think too many big companies in particular still think if we buy this big like Lamborghini of technology, it's just going to run itself and it's just going to shoot like a rocket. Nobody's going to have to have thought or thinking. That's just never true. And then always, I think like part of the value proposition of Willow Tree is that we bring strategists who also execute. In big companies in particular, there's still just way too much like big agency said that we should do X and Y but there's actually not a path to be able to take their recommendations and put them into practice. That's why we want our strategy to say, this is what you should do. And we also know you can actually execute it. So I think just that thoughtfulness that needs to stay constant in, in marketing at all times. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting what you bring up about there's such a disparate set of skills. Um, and I think it's interesting, sometimes those skills might exist within the company, but they're not called growth. And part of the mm -hmm. problem is that those teams are not talking to each other. Totally. Yeah. I think so often at these larger companies, these different function, they do exist and the people with these skills do exist, but they're spread across disparate teams. Um, so that's a really interesting place where I find Willow Tree comes in, getting these people in the same room and realizing, oh, we should actually be working as one team executing on these on these different priorities. Yeah, facilitating collaboration and having people who are good at doing that, like raising a vision together. It's still a skill that either we bring to the table or we have to find somebody who will champion it in turn inside any like large, sometimes small organizations too. Absolutely. Cool. Woo!